This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushduni. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushduni. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushdini. Chapter 5. Confession and the Image in Man. In the mid-1940s, in a conversation with an aged American Indian, I was asked a number of questions about life in white America. For him, however, the contrast was not between white America and red America, but between Christian America and the American Indians. It was his belief that all white Americans were Christian by birth. It came as a shock and enlightenment to him to realise that white America was both Christian and anti-Christian. By his own admission, he assumed a cultural, religious solidarity among white Americans because they were a successful and victorious people. Rifts among Indians between the wolf cult, the peyote people and the Christian converts were to him understandable because the Indians were a defeated people. Another problem to him was the white Americans' concern over privacy. Having grown up when small bands of Indians, numbering only a very few families, kept apart from other bands of the tribe because of the scarcity of food in a given area, privacy was alien to him. Only the medicine man had secrets. Everything else was known by all, whether good or bad. Years later, it occurred to me how the tribal band functioned, in a sense, as a god in this respect. In Hebrews 4.13, we are told, quote, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. End quote. In the late 1950s, on one occasion, a white American described this omniscience of God with hostility, calling the Almighty a peeping Tom God. About the same time, a woman insisted that a real God would have better things to do than to spy on her. While most Americans, 90% or more, continued to believe in God, they seemed to think of him as a kindly force who had to be invoked to act. At the same time, the personal security and privacy of a person began to recede steadily in American life. The right to privacy was not being invoked, but it was demanded too often for an ostensible right to sin freely. Also, confession in the Christian sense waned greatly, whereas confessions to psychotherapists increased. Even more, confessions to anyone began to increase. When I was still in my twenties, hanging onto a strap in a crowded public conveyance, tightly packed at the rush hour, the woman standing next to me apologised when a sudden slowdown threw her against me. She then asked who I was, and, learning that I was an ordained clergyman,
promptly confessed her sexual transgressions with a married man and asked for counsel and absolution. This temper, which might be called a will to confess, I found over the years to be very common. A police officer told me of the readiness of many criminals to confess. Some leave identification on the premises they have robbed, such as an envelope addressed to themselves. They confess their crime to a friend, hence the use of police informers, or to a cellmate. The need to confess is there, and some, having confessed, then choose to repudiate their confession. Granted that in some instances such non-Christian confessions have an element of boasting to them, there is all the same a relief that is sought in the act of confessing. Among other things, ungodly confessions are, first, marked by a belief that confession should should automatically bring absolution. Without any true repentance, penance or restitution, some believe that confession automatically brings all these things. They can become, in fact, very indignant if they are not routinely granted forgiveness for confessing. Such people are well described by Proverbs 30.20. Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. The assumption is that an insignificant matter is involved and a mere admission should end any problem. Confession replaces restitution and in itself is a form of absolution. Second, humanistic premises so govern many that the act of confession is seen as therapeutic. Many parents help further this attitude by requiring their child to confess their wrongdoing and then saying, there, don't you feel better now? With those who believe that confession brings absolution, there is at least a framework of the Christian confessional in mind. Where confession is seen as therapeutic, the whole framework has become humanistic. Perhaps some who go to psychotherapists are still confessing to mother, expecting to be blessed for confessing. Confession in Christian doctrine has as its goal penance or restitution. The two can be different as the means to forgiveness. Forgiveness in scripture is juridical. It means charges dropped because satisfaction has been rendered. It can also mean charges deferred for the time being, as in Christ's word from the cross concerning the Roman soldiers. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. From Luke 23.34 The whole of the confessional doctrine rests on the necessity for restitution or penance as the precondition of forgiveness. By reducing forgiveness to an emotional change in the offended party, the whole confessional penitential theology is undermined. Its decline is thus easy to understand. This heresy is compounded where forgiveness is granted, where it is not asked for, nor any repentance even remotely in evidence. John Casey has written, quote, A withholding of mercy, a desire for revenge, can be justified on moral grounds. A forgiveness that comes from magnanimity and a disdain for pettiness is also intelligible. What is neither intelligible nor admirable is the modern understanding of forgiveness, which is merely a cant version of Christian doctrine. To announce instant forgiveness through Though broken, through broken teeth, 
of men who have just beaten you up and raped your daughter-in-law, as the vicar did a year or two ago, is about as admirable as believing six impossible things before breakfast. End quote. This is, however, what all too many regard as true forgiveness. But even as true confession is unto God, so true forgiveness is also from God and on his terms. The church can administer God's forgiveness, but it cannot forgive on its own. Humanistic confession has been replacing the Christian, even as humanistic forgiveness has increasingly supplanted God's. God, as creator and governor of all things, is the absolute Lord or sovereign over all. His judgments are total and final, because he alone is God, and all final reckonings are in his hands. This is the premise of Christian confession. We confess to God because he alone can grant us full absolution and forgiveness through Christ, and he alone can renew us and create a clean heart in us. If sovereignty is transferred from the triune God to man, or to some human agency, then so too will judgment and absolution be transferred. The modern state claims to be sovereign, that is, God in its own domain. As a result, it is less and less tolerant of the church's freedom and God's prerogatives. Without Christian faith, and without confession, and faith in the last judgment, the state's courts will seek to be the last judgment of man. According to Revelation 20.11-13, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose faith the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. End quote. The modern state seeks to keep, like God, total books on all men. The modern communications developments have been used to store more data on all citizens, their incomes, financial transactions and more. At one time, the state's information on the people was limited to those with, with criminal records. Now, all have records. There were no secrets among Indians who lived in small roving bands. This was due to their closeness and also to the prevalence of envy as a means of keeping one another on a common level. Now again, envy is at work, and also a hostility to individuality. Former Congressman Ron Paul reported on an incident in the University of Pennsylvania. One young white woman student wrote about her deep regard for the individual and desire to protect the freedom of all members of society. A black official at, of the university returned her statement to her, circling her statement, underlining the word individual, and stating, quote, This is a red flag phrase today which is considered by many to be racist. Arguments that champion the individual over the group ultimately privileges sick, the individuals belonging to the largest or dominant group. End quote. The standard in such cases, and they are many, is the state and its law, not God. 
Confession, thus, must be to sins specified by the state. This should not surprise us. According to scripture, man was created in the image of God, from Genesis 1, 26-28, and the essential aspects of that image are knowledge, righteousness, holiness and dominion. Colossians 3.10, Ephesians 4.24, Genesis 1.26-28. Now, another doctrine sees man as made by the state and defined by the state. Young M. Brookman, Professor of Philosophy and Law and Dean of the Faculty of Law, Catholic University of Leuven, Belgium, has stated, It is necessary to comprehend man as an image of law. He states also, the natural person is a juridical construction. Again, law and anthropology are deeply connected. For him, law is a social phenomenon and law is a product. Law is man-made. This is a plain analysis of an anti-biblical concept of man and law. If man is created by the law of the state and is defined by the state, then the limits and boundaries of his life are also the product of the state and its law. Confession by man must then be made to his maker, statist law. The tyrant power, state, is then fully in view. Thus, the issues which undergird the doctrine of confession are not trifling ones. The issue is not simply one of supposedly antiquated ecclesiastical practice, it is a question of man's life and freedom. This is the end of chapter 5. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.